All right, everyone. Welcome back. We here are here. We are here. We are all here. <laughs> we are all here. Whole gang is back together mm-hmm. for episode 10, The Last Ceremony. Um, but first, uh, we have some love mail that we're going to read. Um, so Aaliyah wrote to us, said, love the podcast, guys. Just started listening at season two, and it's so cool to get info that you may have missed or from the book, which I haven't read. Keep it up, love, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. What? 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 Melbourne? Yeah. We're international, guys. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks, How about Leah. that? <laughs> and uh, our good friend Elizabeth L. Uh, says, thank you so much for bringing up all the hate for Serena Joy being um, brought up last episode, a couple episodes ago in episode eight, regardless of the um, trailer for uh, episode nine, which is a whole other thing. No one deserved what he did to her he referring to commander waterford of course and the scene where he uh uses his belt to beat her and jennifer c says agree she is just trying to survive in this situation too she is as much trapped as june is she just realizes it now more Ooh, interesting very true yeah totally agree with that and Lori. M mm-hmm. says, uh, so at about the scene at the elevator and the mother and the daughter, their reaction to Serena, don't you think she had this instinctual reaction because to her, Serena and all she represents is dangerous. All protocol and politeness aside, I would want my daughter to understand that this culture is threatening and dangerous, especially after the little girl made the princess comment. I'd be like, whoa, do not idolize this woman run uh lol and she says lol and she says just discovered and love 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 your podcast well thank you so much for commenting Lori. and what do you think about that because you you were really advocating okay so i kindfully kindfully i kindly disagree i'm going to say thank you for your opinion but i'm gonna stand on my soapbox and say that you know if you see someone in a burqa and um they're going to the elevator and, you know, they're with their man that's wearing jeans and a T-shirt. And, of course, they're allowed to do that because they're a man and that's acceptable in their society. And the woman's not allowed to drive and, like, all these other things. Would you react the same way? Like, oh, that's a degrading society to women. That's an awful situation to be in. That is not something to look at and ask if she's a princess. That's Some people do, run. But I, I think that is xenophobic that's wrong i'm not disagreeing with you i'm just saying but that but people do do that just people because do we it all the agree time with their culture and their way of life their way of thinking their policies their preferences on religion and the way that they practice it doesn't mean that we need to treat them like second class citizens and teach our children to be discriminatory good point i do uh, like the point that Lori made you know, especially after the princess comment, uh, I would be like, whoa, do not idolize this woman. Because, and we talk about this, this is this age that is uh, impressionable. And we even see evidence of this in episode 10 at the scene at the end, you know, jumping ahead to Hannah and how in just a short amount of time, her, her viewpoints have changed you know, because when she was brought into Gilead, she was much younger than she is now. And so how that indoctrination process works. So 
even if it's this small moment at the elevator and she looks at Serena Joy and has this moment of idolizing her, will she then on her own sort of idolize her throughout life and adopt those principles and ethics and, well, and ideological that's what you're well, well, and pull her aside and you explain this is what it is this is what they do this is how they live this is why we don't agree with it but we do respect others and the way that they live their lives and that's parenting well i was gonna i was just actually gonna say exactly that that um there's nothing wrong with the child thinking that she's pretty and you know she's a pretty blonde dressed in blue. I mean, what does that look like? It looks like a Disney princess. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you want to explain to her um, what that outfit means and that it's not a Disney princess, it means this, um, that's something different. On the other hand, if the child were to choose at some point to emigrate to Gilead as an adult, that would be her 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 idea and her choice. Very true, very true. Yeah, great points, guys. This is exactly what I'm thinking. Like the, the, the thinking now, case. would I want a child of mine to do that? No, no, but not that would be that would be her choice. Their choice. I yeah. wouldn't necessarily want a child of mine to become Amish either. No, but <laughs> precisely. Yeah. But it's still allowed, right? And to you know have a conversation with your child, not just say they're bad people or we don't like them, but say this is their life. This is what they believe in. This is what they do. This is what she is. She's not a princess. This is what she is. And, like, correct their view. That's really interesting because I uh, did a workshop with the Smithsonian this past week about their children's programs and arts programs that they do Mm -hmm. in schools in the D.C. metro area. And something that the artistic director emphasized was in how we speak to children. Not only is her goal to teach children, but how to teach adults to speak to children right. in mm-hmm. not a condescending way. Yes. Right. So a lot of her work focuses on in classrooms with teachers and with adults, how to retrain people how to speak to children. Because oftentimes we think we have to phrase things differently or use this different tone of voice and it does come off as condescending and we don't realize it. So for her, it's a process in helping others understand, helping adults understand that children are much more perceptive and intelligent than we give them credit for. We forget. And I fully agree with that. You mm-hmm. know, if a child asks why, which they do a lot, you know, it's, it's instead of just saying, because I said so, like, let's give you a real reason. Let's, oh, yeah. Let's like- level with you. Yeah, so teaching people to speak with them and educate with, like, logic and reason and not just... Because I said so. Exactly. Mm. This is the law of the land. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the next comment we have is from Diane P. And she says, I am obsessed with the show and love discussion after watching it. Thank you, Diane. Mm -hmm. We have a great one from Katie S. She says, what do you think about Eden's chocolate chip cookies and the connection to Mexico from the last season? She's talking about when the ambassador from Mexico brings chocolate as a parting gift. And we understand at this point that Mexico is going to trade something for handmaids. And she questions, does this mean that Gilead is now trading handmaids for chocolate from Mexico? Well, Good but they question. said from, it was from California. Or no, those strawberries. Strawberries. Oh, are from strawberries. Right, so we don't have a clarification on where the cocoa beans are coming from, but it is very possible it could be coming out of Mexico. Because uh, certainly they didn't have any chocolate or they did, but it was very, very rare. Um, 
last season. So um, the very fact that she's using that priceless a commodity in cookies suggests that it's a lot more available than it used to be. I I didn't even think of that. Nice work. Mm-hmm. That is a great connection. Such Thank observant, you. Observant, observant people. And uh, another friend of ours that has uh, made comments before in this season, LD, says, I shared this article with another group. The article that I posted on the Facebook page was about how the writers and showrunners of The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu don't address the race issue. And their argument in the article was that because it's written from a perspective of... Uh, privilege mm-hmm. that they can easily write off that as a non-issue and not choose to make it as an issue and the argument of the person who wrote the article was is that's a privileged point of view because others would s- say or view that race is not a storyline that is easily dismissible in say real life right and yeah. so Elle says, I shared this article with another group and getting replies almost exclusively from white people assuring me that race is a side issue and the writers cannot get to everything and that it would be a distraction from the main story. It's interesting that race is almost almost is almost always one of the things that white writers and producers and directors feel okay about not prioritizing. I know for a fact that this is deterring people of color from watching or fully enjoying the show, and it's frustrating to be told that it doesn't matter. I'm a white woman, so I can only imagine how exhausting it must be to deal with this explanation as a person of color. What do you think about that? Well, a couple of things. One, as a person of color, um, I watch the show. I've watched it both seasons, and I probably would even if I weren't podcasting it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, it it, it makes... I will say that last season I was very pleased to see that there were people of color in the cast. Yeah. That they had, in fact, made one of the major featured characters a woman of color, that being Moira. Um, Because they don't, in fact, say what Moira is in the book. And so you're free to make her whatever you want to make her. Um, What then bothered me was because they they were including all of these people of color in there was that they then just didn't say anything about it right why include them if you're not going to say anything about it even to say well you know under normal circumstances um we might not want non-white babies but the fertility crisis is at such a peak, we can't be picky. Address it some kind of way. Right, right, right. I mean, and there was a, just this past episode, there was a black commander who Commander Waterford looked all kinds of... Sideways at. Sideways at. <laughs> if you can see Kay's face right now. <laughs> I mean, just, eh, is is basically the face that I'm making. Um, as in sort of, how did this guy get here? Uh, and with a pregnant wife? Hmm. So maybe they have to address the race issue now. Maybe maybe it's only the white people who aren't having children. Okay, yeah. So 
Wait, can I say it? Go. Okay. So, so we were talking about the epilogue last okay, week. Okay. So. And I, I got a lot of things wrong. Have, <laughs> I have not read the book. And our lovely producer, Donna, emailed me a PDF file. And I read the epilogue. The epilogue only. Can I just say that? I want to read the whole book now. And in in the epilogue, what they say is they, uh, it's some sort of convention. It's like a keynote address of some sort. Uh-huh. And um, the conversation in, in one of the paragraphs, uh, the speaker says that this is a Western Hemisphere Caucasian plague. Mm. Right, because the... Um... So think Black Plague. I mean, it was mm-hmm. in, you know, most of Europe, but it did not hit the entire world. It killed our population, but it did not hit the entire world, and it was a very specific population. So this is like the newer Black Plague. Mm. The infertility plague. I had totally forgotten that piece of the epilogue. I had just gotten... I just remembered the general feel of the epilogue and what was happening mm-hmm. in it. And then when I dug it up and actually reread it again, I was like, oh. <laughs> And I want to share it with you guys, but obviously, like, copyright infringement, I can't really post it or, like, record right. it. So, ah, uh, go to a bookstore. You can go and, go and find it on your own, yes. Go to a bookstore and just read the last few pages. I, I, I seem to recall, well, it's more <laughs> than the last Google. few. I seem to recall that the um, the professor giving the keynote speech was indigenous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last mm-hmm. name... Crescent moon. Crescent yeah. moon. And the epilogue takes place, I thought it In had taken 2195. place. In I thought it had taken place, like, maybe a little while after Gilead had It's in the no. 22nd century. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite, far in quite the a bit, quite far in the future. Far enough back that you had somebody who was essentially looking at it as a, um, archaeological an archaeological piece. piece. Yeah. yeah. I think it's super interesting because I... It's part of the literature. It's part of the canon. So I wonder if the show's going to include it in some right. way or get to. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Well, I mean, you know, you don't. You, what was it? Is it was it a uh, Patty Chayefsky who said that you don't introduce a a gun in the first act yep, if yep. you're not going to use it by the by, by the fifth. Three. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So um, it's the same sort of situation. You know, why bring up the fact that this black commander has who was was promoted specifically because his wife was pregnant yep and waterford says so no handmade for you and he says nope i don't know i'm just saying that you know i i agree with her that they left it kind of late in the game having brought all these people of color into the cast and then not addressing it but now having brought it up with this commander maybe this is something that they're going to go ahead and address although they don't have too much time left this particular season we do have a whole season three which i assume is also going to be a 13 episode order though mm-hmm. i don't i'm fuzzy on those details if because yeah, they have not. been renewed so it's going to be at least 10 if not well thir- a full 13 but we have spoken about this earlier in the season how i believe the writers don't like to leave a whole lot of loose ends right and there are very few things that are still on the table that they haven't addressed they took care of a whole lot of shit last episode so they're they're getting into the you know into the season finale mode which i kind of like because you know some series they like to kind of drag on until ep- the last episode of the season yeah no not like this one. major cliffhanger don't know what else is happening so mm. anyway well so i want to make the we're point we're cliffhangering that, now mm-hmm. i mean i am white so i'm not really I, it's kind of politically you incorrect are? for me to talk about 
race, but I'm going to do it anyways. Talking about this race issue of not being a big enough issue on the story and how everyone's commenting that it's it's, it's too much of a side thing for them to address and all this other stuff. I just, in my opinion, I don't think it always has to be an issue. So the show Grey's Anatomy, you know, the first few seasons they had... Well, still have, but the first few seasons they had a wild array of uh, characters from all kinds of backgrounds and all sorts of different types of social economic statuses and shapes and sizes and gender dispositions and everything, absolutely everything, and it was never addressed. And then someone went online. Sure, it was. Well, well, but here's the thing: it was never like overtly addressed as to why. Like, yes, you've got different, you know, um, genders and gender preferences and you know, everything else in between. But what the creator of the show said outside of the show was, you know, why why does it have to be a thing? Why can't I just have colorful people? Because that's what the world we have around us is. Why does it have to be a thing? Except she did address it. Um, the co- people who were characters of color did, in fact, comment about I mean they didn't do it every day. Right. It wasn't but, a regular like storyline. Right. It wasn't the main piece well, at all. I, and I'm not suggesting it should be here. I'm not even sure that our our reader, listener, is suggesting that it should be here. Just that they haven't mentioned it at all. Yeah. That there there like is at this all void at all. and vacuum that if there was a phrase, something, there have been a lot of things that we might have had questions about. And somewhere throughout season one and season two, we're like, okay, that's sort of, we get the, the gist of it. And the, it is one of those overhanging issues that just, we don't get the gist of anything of it at all. Well, so. Yeah, because we've also had the question about, you know, those Nazi comments in the original university talks. So, I mean, there is a an underlaying somewhere of a race issue. We just don't have any information about it yet. Yeah. I feel it's it's coming. I agree with you, Kay. Mm -hmm. And so the title of episode 10 is called The Last Ceremony. Mm. And we start the episode with a ceremony Uh of Emily. And I Oh my God, Emily. (laughs) I was saying how... (laughs) <laughs> Emily is cracked in a different way than Janine is, but I believe she is definitely in a place of like dissociation. I mean, understandably so. She is that emo chick in high school that hates the world. She hates everyone and your mother. Like <laughs> she's I not coming feel, back from this. I feel it's, she's it's Ally not... Sheedy in the Breakfast Club. Aww, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's almost like a something a little bit more sinister about. Alexis Bledel's portrayal like a of Emily, psychopath. Though. Yeah, it's almost we see the process emotionally of what maybe of Glenn, who did the bomb, might have gone through before she decided to do the bomb, is sort of the thing I'm getting. Yeah. Is that Emily She's on edge. Is a dangerous character. To continue. Understandably bomb. so. And I think it's just a bigger contrast between everybody else we have as handmaids featured in the show. Right. You know, even of Robert, who was in May Day and was also severely tortured, she knows how to keep it pretty low-key. Right. And her portrayal of of Robert is this pretty very level-headed person. And so Emily is just sort of like this outlier out there. Well, you know, 
let's let's just run through this real quick. Yeah, they yeah. cut off her clit. Well, there's that. <laughs> I, you know, let, let's start off there. Um, let's even go back further than that. Um, they they hang her best friend mm-hmm. in the courtyard of her university, which she has always considered to be pretty much a safe space. Mm-hmm. She and her wife and their child try to leave. They do not let her leave. Mm-hmm. She is then placed into enforced servitude to be raped once a month. And she's a lesbian. So this is mm-hmm. something, you know, penis is something that she has, you know, chosen not to have be around mm-hmm. i'm not saying that her sexual orientation is a choice people don't jump down my throat i mean that this is not somewhere she, she goes does not choose to have a penis in her life correct That's fine. now um they then catch her um having been involved with another woman and because she is valuable property they do not kill her although they kill the martha the the martha that Mm -hmm. she was involved with they just put her into surgery and do female genital mutilation on her Mm -hmm. and then they send her back (laughs) um into said enforced servitude um she then runs over a couple of guardians with a car (laughs) And they send her off to the colonies. Okay, at this point, she has pretty much decided, well, I guess I'm going to die out here. My teeth are falling out. My hair is falling out. I guess I'm going to die. And then off Glen blows up a good chunk of the handmaids, and they bring her back mm. again. And now she's getting raped again every month. Like, dear God, I think she had made peace with dying already. So I, I can't entirely fault her for not, you know, being no. a couple of sandwiches short of a picnic. <laughs> I totally don't fault her. Do not get me wrong. I totally don't. <laughs> I am a huge fan of Alexis Pudel and her portrayal of Emily. I, I Her character I, is the most sane one of the group that came back. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that reaction makes sense from her. <laughs> You are not wrong that she is the most oh, sane of the two people. Makes who you came forget. About. It. <laughs> Makes you forget about Rory Gilmore, though, don't it? Yeah. Woo, woo, boy. I just she ain't no Rory. Out, I just want to put out there that she's dangerous in yeah, my I agree. feeling. Oh, of course. Yeah, well, her commander found that out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this voiceover that's happening, and it's uh, done by June, and talking about you treat it like an unpleasant job. This this sort of inner monologue that Mm -hmm. all the handmaids must go through in order to cope with the trauma of being ritualistically raped every single month. And so then Roy, I guess, has a heart attack. And I wrote in my notes, Emily DGAF. Does not give. Oh my god! Flying no. and just I was laughing. Stomps this motherfucker so hard. Stomps him. Well, before she stomps <laughs> no. him, the she wife is there. the wife is like, "Go get somebody," and she says, "Well, but I've got a better chance of of conceiving <laughs> if I lie here Chances for a while with my knees." I lay on my back afterwards. <laughs> Uh, let's be honest though she's in the right to say that and no one can even be mad at her that's why the wife was like "Uh, uh, uh, okay okay you're right let me go get help oh man oh emily then she stomps on his dick twice oh man yes 
Oh, well. Great stuff, guys. That's going to be <laughs> that's going to be interesting in the autopsy. So we're at the market and everyone's just gossiping about it cuz of course, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. we have this moment between Isaac and Eden and I called it. I called it you from did. last episode. You did. You did. You did. And then June checks in on Emily, seeing if she's okay, and she starts to have contractions. Mm-hmm. Uh and she's trying to hide it because she's like, eh, maybe it's no big deal. And in this scene, she's like trying to cheer up Emily. And Emily's just again, just in this really like deep well of like despair and all of that that we've already talked about. And then so her contractions start in earnest. And so we get the ambulance taking her back to the Waterford's house. And there's this great little scene of June coming off the ambulance and Nick greets her and helps her down. And they're sort of having a moment. And Eden is like, oh, my God, in not in focus in the back, like kind of blurry and yeah. just like in between and them. And watching. this is the first that she sees like, oh, I think there may be something going on here. And so they take her in and Serena says, we did it. We did it. Right. <laughs> like, good God, like, what the hell did you okay, do? Sure. What did you do exactly? Sure, sure you did. We did so much together, huh? June just comes back. You know, Serena is reciting this passage and I'm not super well versed in the Bible. So I believe that is, that is a passage in, it is. in yeah. the Bible. And June comes back with no one knows the things of God. Also from the Bible. Also from the Bible. So then we get all set up in Serena's room, and she has a great moment where she says, well, at least this is the last fucking time I have to get in this bed. (laughs) (sighs) Allusion to, eh, not so much. (laughs) Sorry. That's really awful. And there's this really awesome moment of her kind of having this moment of joy. And we've seen her journey through the last few episodes. She was just so purely happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've seen her journey through the last few episodes from coming very resentful of this pregnancy, understandable, to being very attached to her child that's in her womb because it is her child. Mm-hmm. And at least it's not Waterford's. She, they're pretty positive that it's not. And yeah, we so know it isn't. We're pretty detached. She's at least detached from the fact that you know, at least it's not Fred's. And it's going to be the child of hers and somebody that she cares about very much. So there is a connection that she's developed with, you know, made peace with this pregnancy and come to, even while she's still pregnant, knowing she's not going to be in this child's life, making sure that the child is going to be protected and okay and ask Mm -hmm. for godparents from all sorts of people, even Aunt Lydia, for goodness sakes. Yeah. So she really does have love for this baby and so she has this moment of joy before you hear aunt lydia's voice coming Mm -hmm. up the steps and she's (laughs) immediately yeah and so they are making preparations for the birthing which we've seen some of before Mm -hmm. we saw a lot of the of that when janine had charlotte slash angela and then we get this scene that we did not get last time we had a uh, birthing event is the men congregating Mm -hmm. and so we get into fred's office and there's commanders there and so the uh black commander that we were talking about earlier is Mm -hmm. named commander horace Mm -hmm. and was specifically promoted because his wife was able to get pregnant on her own which i was like ooh. Interesting. Yeah, I had to listen yes. to that like three times to make sure that the wording was what I thought it was saying, and it mm-hmm. was definitely saying that. 
Yep. Such an interesting layer to just sneak in there. And I was like, mm-hmm. like, I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. How creative. And I wrote down below my note of this hierarchy, question mark. We've obviously mm-hmm. talked a yeah. lot about the hierarchy of the women. And we get glimpses sort of the hierarchy of the men. And so now we're getting a little more, another little tidbit. Like, of I that. wonder if now he outranks Fred because of that. Or if he's up there, like, all of a sudden as a contender. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And we do notice that, I mean, obviously, he's probably the only black commander in the entire room in this district. Mm-hmm. In this so, district, yes. Not in all of them. We've right. Figure that so, out. So whether or not black commanders or other people of color are uh, able to be commanders, they're obviously in the minority, mm-hmm. which we see. And so there's another person that comes in, and I had to look up his name. His name is Commander Grinnell, because I don't think they introduced him, which is... He's going to be used later on because, again, we talk about how the writers don't really take anything for granted and don't have too many loose ends. Mm-hmm. And he comes in and he, I just wrote Creepo. That was my note for him. <laughs> Talking about handmade, my handmaid. Yeah. She's reached her expiration yeah. date and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, this yeah. is a cute one, isn't she? <laughs> it's like, it's like another Fred, but older and creepier. Gross. It's kind of like what Janine had originally with all the blowjobs yeah. that she had to do. Like, that was essentially like who we're looking at right now is one mm-hmm. of those creeps. So, Even when you when you creep out Fred, you <laughs> oh man, you, that's what you know. Because <laughs> Fred was looking at him like I cannot believe you said that. You're a whole new level creep, dude. I think you were the one too who mentioned that you know after his near death experience, he's probably more pious, and we see the evidence of that. He's like recommitted to his own cause, right? Yeah. So I think this guy definitely made him uncomfortable. You're totally right. It's so funny. <laughs> Then we get to the wives, and so we've seen a lot of what the wives do, and there's a, a line that reoccurs as a theme in this episode, and Naomi is saying, you know, you deserve this. And you see just the pure joy also She was of so Serena. happy. So happy. She I felt so bad for her, well, the It was just pure yeah. happiness. Mm-hmm. And so Aunt Lydia comes in and gathers them, and of course, it says it's false labor, Braxton Hicks contractions, and June's look. Sitting all cross-legged oh, in the middle of the man. bed. Well, was, smirking. My bad. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a word for it, and I wrote insidious. Is that appropriate? Yes. That like a, yeah. I guess. <laughs> you know, just this, yeah. And of course, I mean, she didn't do it on purpose. You don't plan to have Braxton Hicks no, contractions. No, the way she's looking at her, her head is like down, like looking up through the top of her eyes and just like smirking, like, So my happy bad. she has created some <laughs> uh, embarrassment for Serena. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. and also happy that that means that this, this baby is not ready to come out yet. She's and a maybe little bit more time. Some time. Yeah, absolutely. And so Serena, you know, the doctor comes in, same doctor we've had since uh, season one. And Braxton asking, Hicks are a good sign, though. It means, you know, that the body's preparing. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Absolutely. It's not a bad thing at all. No. She should have been happy. <laughs> I think she was just disappointed. Yeah, no, for sure. Oh, <laughs> she, was all, she was all ready. Oh, my gosh, and... yes. Oh, man. <clears throat> so Serena is asking the doctor if they can induce labor right now. And uh, <laughs> Aunt Lydia has a wealth of knowledge of midwifery, which yeah. I think is fantastic. You know, all the uh, wives' tales, quote unquote. And they're not. I mean, no, there's course, a they're helpful, but them. for the lack of better term, you know, eating mangoes and taking lots of walks and spicy food, spicy food, spicy things, things like that. Mm-hmm. And. 
And then uh, the one thing that she doesn't mention is sex. She mentions all the other options but sex. Thank you. Let's let's look at that. We all mm -hmm. know, or at least I'm aware. I don't know if everyone's aware. Oh no! Oh well, yeah, sex it's is in the, used it's to in the induce. consciousness. It's in the uh, right. Oh. Mm. Right. It's a common practice to induce labor. But that was not advocated by Aunt Lydia on any level. Because well. you're not supposed to be doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Not in this She's already religion. pregnant. Only ceremonies and, and no ceremonies while you're pregnant. Right. right. Absolutely. It's against the rules, guys. How do you go from pompous and like righteous about your own, like pushing your agenda forward, and then you're like, oh, but let's break the rules so we can have a child sooner? I mean, that's the M.O. of Fred and Serena in, yeah, in a okay. nutshell. All right. Really. Just kidding. You know, just <laughs> making the rules and breaking them when it suits them. Yeah, I think if there was a tagline right. for that couple, that's pretty much it. Okay. And Serena's obviously fucking pissed. And so <laughs> she says, you're getting a new posting in a new district. And June, of course, says, you know. Obviously, I'd never want to see you again. <laughs> so we're past the point of niceties. We there was a period of time where like, oh, this is a they could actually be friends. They're making a friendship. They had some happy moments. Nope. Done. That's gone. Gone. And Aunt Lydia just sort of gives her this I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed look <laughs> over it. And uh, I love that because we know. Aunt Lydia is always full of good reprimands, and at that point, she was just, mm. I'm, come on, <laughs> come on, girl. So then, after this incident, June visits to Fred and kind of implores him again, you know, tells him, oh, you have been kind to me, and mm -hmm. other commanders would not, you know, trying to get back on his good side, and they haven't had any sort of really relationships so to speak in quite some time especially right. after mm -hmm. the incident where you know he beat serena in, in front, front of her. her yeah which and i think is what killed that friend that budding friendship right right there. it's like okay this is very clear about <laughs> what the lines and boundaries are now and so she asked to be moved to hannah's district and says something about how if it's in your power and then that really gets him going it's like who oh are you God. to tell me what's within my power and says he's been like too that, lenient that's too not even indulgent. what she said though he misunderstood what she was saying i've spoiled you mm -hmm. i mean this is obviously a very power hungry man mm -hmm. you know there's yeah. no doubt about that and throws her out of the office right and really gets angry at her and i don't think he's ever really spoken to her like that no before. it's a new one mm -mm. and it was weird she has this great uh, little piece that she says to him. It says, I shouldn't have expected you to understand. You have no idea what it's like to have a child of your own oh flesh and blood. And you never will. Oh, yes. And so it's kind of this common knowledge in the household that, you know, Fred is sterile, which is the whole it handmade situation. It was pure anger, and I loved it. And he can't do anything about it at the moment. Mm -mm. <laughs> And then we get to Serena rage gardening again. Oh my it's god, like my yes. My favorite <laughs> thing Serena does is rage garden. She rage gardens <laughs> in the book, actually. She does? Oh, that's mm -hmm. funny. That's awesome. That's so great. I'm pinching um, the buds off of things. <laughs> so then Fred comes in, and, you know, they kind of are scheming to induce labor. And so they sort of get this look, and they sort of have this plan, and we're like, uh, hmm, this is not good. What's no, going to happen? I kind of had a feeling where it was going. The moment they started having a conversation, I'm like, oh, no, they're not. They're it's, not. Yeah. And they did. So Rita comes and gets 
Alfred from her room. And Rita has this moment, I mean, obviously, Alfred has asked her in the last episode to be the god mother. parent. Yeah, godmother. And Rita senses something is off mm-hmm. more than usual in the household. <laughs> right. Things are usually off in the household, but Rita knows when things are really wrong. And she senses it, and she says, I'll tell the baby about you. And it's so interesting. And yeah. I also just had a side thought, you know, in, in you know, this was Rita's only line, a few lines in this episode, is we haven't got any Rita backstory this season, which I'm very disappointed about. <laughs> Granted, there's still a few more episodes left of this season, and we have all of season three. I'm just saying. It's a little weird. I'm a little disappointed that we haven't got more Rita backstory. She does tell some exposition about her own life within mm-hmm. the current scenes, though. She does have some. Yeah. And... So we get to Serena's room, and we have this horrible ceremony. I mean, it's well, not it's uncomfortable a ceremony. To watch. Yeah, I like, mean, I'm this not, horrible rape. I'm not going to say that all the other ceremonies have been comfortable to watch, but this was the most excruciating to watch. I guess this was a full-on depiction. Was a yeah, full she on was saying no. She was actually saying no. And she Serena, forcing... who is normally just sort of holding her hands, was literally holding her down. Yeah, no, this was a whole new level. No. I think I brought up last uh, recording with Abigail that Serena is obviously complicit because she made all of these freaking rules and made yeah. this whole culture about the handmaids and fertility and right. stuff like that. So she can pretend all she wants when she the actual ceremonies beforehand about how much she hates it and, and resents it and all that stuff. And now this is the moment she is absolutely 100% complicit of the rape of June. And so there's just been this weird turning point because we just see so many cracks in her there's no facade. cracks on this one. We see so many cracks in her facade after, you know, throughout Canada and after she comes back from Canada, whether this is the right thing to be doing is what I think we sort of projected on her. Like maybe she's going to turn and be a part of the resistance. But anything that comes with the baby, I think she will literally do anything at the drop mm-hmm. of the hat. Literally do anything. And this is, this is the point where it's brought her. And in the extras behind the episode on Hulu, if you've watched it, Warren Littlefield, who's the executive producer, says that, you know, June as a character has pushed Serena and Fred to the absolute edge. And I don't know that Fred would have participated in this. He seemed like he was willing to wait, except that she said what she said to him. Yeah. I'm not saying it's her fault by any stretch of the imagination, but he was mad already. And then once Serena said, hey, let's do this, he's like, yeah, okay, let's do this, since somebody wants to question how much power I have. We never knew if there was going to be an extra punishment for June for the disobedience that she did with Serena. And so I think it's everything from that leading up to all of the small things and big things up until this moment. And this is his way of exercising his power and his might but then he almost like apologizes later well okay but her reaction that's the first time she's ever reacted like that and Mm -hmm. so like from having that strong of a reaction and then all of a sudden like that that, this is a whole new level of rape now like this is a new level so this is new they just did it and it was extreme it was violent it was 
off-putting. It was very uncomfortable to watch. And then he almost like feels guilty and, you know, sets he up does a meeting. Feel guilty. Sets up a meeting for her to go see her own kid, says, you deserve it because I just fucked you silly in the worst way possible. And you were saying no. This is me saying, I'm sorry that I did that to you. Now I feel like sorry about it. Go see your child for 10 minutes. What the fuck? I also... That's how I read it. And it's kind of fucked up. The emotion that Serena has in that scene during while it's happening and also immediately after was just so interesting to me as an observer of her acting. Mm-hmm. I just thought that arc and and that point of emotion from her is something we is new. And we've seen a mm-hmm. lot of Serena. I think season two is is all about, it's all about June Serena. and Serena. And we've seen a well and a gamut of emotions. So it's, again, just a testament to our obsession with Ivan Strahovski as a performer. <laughs> that was a difficult, I wrote disgust. Serena is disgusted, and I mean that's a that's a lot of emotion. I mean it's it's hard to describe there, but you can see the things that she's feeling. This it is a complicated emotion for her, and we also have a really real moment of trauma from June. We've had several, obviously, throughout this season. She has so many, so much trauma throughout season one and two. But the time that they give for how she's processing this trauma, I feel like honors really the real trauma that people go through on a daily basis out in the world, frankly. Mm -hmm. And even though this has been happening to her on a ritualistic basis for the last two, three years... But this is different. Yeah. It's a whole different ballgame. It's not the same thing. And she, this is not what she signed up for. Yeah. And that even though those things have happened to her already, that this trauma is so fresh and new. And I just like the time that the show had sort of structured to, to give around that mm-hmm. space. Yeah. And they respected the space it needed. Yeah. I mean, I feel we could talk that to death, but I mean, we can all agree that that scene is what it is and it had a very specific purpose and point and so we get to the next scene which Eden is taking out the the garbage and Isaac shows up like in some kind of teen movie kind of deal like where did he where did he come from I think he was out there guarding I, he, I think yeah, he seems yeah, to be yeah. he seems to be assigned to them permanently yeah. now oh he's yeah because was, Nick I, is because I, Nick is married now and he needs to spend some time with his see, wife I thought it was temporary I didn't realize that he was going to be sticking around that's why I was like why the fuck is he here again <laughs> I did think it was temporary but it does make sense that Waterford would taking, have a bigger staff yeah and he's been taking them to the store and everything so it's not like he's... yeah so they need someone at the house too mm-hmm. gotcha. And I feel also Nick has become more and more not just the driver, but the assistant to Waterford. Because he still needs assistance in his work after the accident. He's still healing. Mm -hmm. It seems like he exclusively works from home, possibly. Mm -hmm. And he's married now, and so he's sort of moved moved up up, the ladder a little bit. Not just the driver, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And so Nick sees them. And Eden sees Nick (laughs) seeing them kissing and flips out. And so this whole scene, I just, I really liked this scene. I loved this scene. (laughs) 
I felt, oh, come on now. I felt, I felt bad for her. I feel so bad for her. I feel so bad for her. And she was just so abject. Just, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so, wait, why don't you care? I was just kissing somebody else. You should care. Why don't you care? (laughs) Don't you love me? Can we just just talk about how like there's, there's like, there's, there's, the female cry and then we've got our ugly female cry oh the homegirl was doing her ugly cry ugly cry (laughs) no remorse and then there's (laughs) there's nick in the background like please stop please stop crying i just like oh my god and his hands are on his like the bridge of his nose nicholas nicholas his head is in his hand his their god hand is like on his bridge of his nose or his temples and he's just like please just please stop like, I can't do it. You no, could at least that. hug your damn wife, man. I mean, come she's on. She's just ugly she's crying. She's a human in front of you crying. Like, she's come on. Like, no, here, here, and pat wailing. pat on the Come on. She's like Something. wailing. Nicholas. Like, Dora or Dory from Nemo trying to do mm. a whale talk. She was whale talking, <laughs> ugly girl crying hardcore. Like, there was no hold back. <laughs> I realize in talking with this about this scene that. This is sort of in line with the theme of the episode, which is people sort of push to some kind of breaking point that mm-hmm. and and this is yeah. Eden's and she Eden has held on to a lot the Poor last dear. few I don't know how she's long she's put up it's with been. a lot. No, she's, she's maybe really a few put up months. with a lot. Yeah. And she's put up with a lot and she's you know, been trying really hard. We see the the outer perspective of like, okay, well, it's not necessarily Nick's fault, but also Nick could have made a lot of effort. Like, this is a person in front of you, and she is your wife, for better or worse, literally. I mean, Uh it is an arranged marriage, to be fair. I felt that after last uh, couple episodes, or last episode, when Nick said goodbye, quote-unquote, he sort of, like, let go his pursuing an active romantic relationship with june that he would maybe turn over a new leaf and make an effort with eden and that was just like not the case and so i feel like that's why this happened like you could have prevented this from happening by just at least trying to be her friend right something something she's a 15 year old girl she's 15 she's got all these away from her family yeah She's in the middle of, like, hormone central. Like, sh- there's no way that girl is hormonally stable. And that's <laughs> that's on a good day because she is 15. Right. Right. There is no reason why she should have to be the adult of the situation and be the one fixing the, their relationship. Yeah. She's put so much effort into this, the poor bear. I feel <laughs> we've had a lot of heartbreaking moments, but this is, I feel, she's so heartbroken at this moment. And, and 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 the thing was, and this this is what did it. I thought that I, I felt really really bad for her because, she like was your Dory standard, well that. But <laughs> in your typical fifteen year old girl fashion, yeah, she went through. Yep. Wait, why don't you why don't you care about this? Don't you love me? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it must be that you're in love with somebody else. Right. Yep. Right. He says. No, that's not it. If I were involved with it, I wouldn't be involved with a handmaid. That would be suicide, which then says to her, oh, so it's just 
Me. Me. You, mm. I, you just don't love I, me. Me. She yeah. went, oh, that was a roller thing. coaster. Mm-hmm. Thank you for breaking that down. That was the oh, perfect 15-year-old baby. girl roller coaster that every girl goes through. And obviously Nick can't say that, oh, yeah, that's it. Because, I mean, then, yeah, he will end up on the freaking wall, you know? Because yeah. that shit will get out if he does admit it at some point. He handled that well. His reaction was pretty level and accurate for what he needed to do. Oh, poor thing. But the but, yeah, no, she was she was Dory Whale calling and she was ugly face c- crying and it was really sad. So it's no mystery that I love Max Minghella and Nick because I think he's dreamy. But I don't think we should <laughs> idolize anyone to a point where you know you don't see their faults. Yeah. And so we've faults. seen how his detached personality, like even back in his first flashback and it allows him to do his job really well to be like a double triple whatever agent you know and serve his own purposes and serve the purposes of the people around him he's like a four-way agent guys mm. it's uh it's not allows him to do that but he fell in love with june and so they have this really naturally you know great chemistry but it doesn't allow him to cover that and have this different personality with Eden. I think that's interesting because I feel a lot of people would just be like, I'm going to just be a different person. Pretend. Like, you can't even pretend. Yeah. You know? I, don't, I wonder how, like, that's not in his vocabulary to even try and pretend with Eden. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's odd that he doesn't even want to try to pretend because yeah. he can pretend with all these other people but he can't pretend with her it is mm-hmm. weird that he can't figure out how to be a different person because we all have our different personas you know i'm different with my friends that i am with my sisters than i am with my mother than i am with my doctor you know <laughs> i feel that a lot of the women are very successful at it because they have to do it to survive one yeah right and so i wonder if it's because he feels safe enough that he doesn't need to make an effort i think I that's i think that's an danger? error yeah right. i don't think that's <laughs> totally which we do get to this big scene at the end which we thought we'd never ever get in a million years but oh here we God. are <laughs> we got it though so fred puts offer in a car with nick and sends them off to the middle of nowhere and it's i have winter. a surprise for you i think you're going to like it okay the moment he said that I knew exactly yep. what was yep. going to happen. Yep. High five. High yeah. five. Yeah. And we have the re-emergence of this line, you deserve this, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. And, and that was him being guilty AF for the way he raped her ass. Mm. I don't know if true guilt well, lives in Fred, because I think he's a psychopath. I don't know, man, because he wasn't going to do it before. Yeah. This yeah. is not a normal Fred thing to do. True. Well, and to a certain extent, he may have decided that the the risk was relatively small. These people were moving. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that house was empty. Yeah, they and they're in moving. the middle of nowhere. So they're they were moving. They would go away, and even if she remembered how to get there for some kind of weird way, she could she, never. She revisit. would never be able to find it again because they wouldn't be there. So it may or may not even be the district that Hannah lives because she was brought there also. That's not her home or anything. Oh, that's right. That's not her house. I believe the first time we do get to see Hannah and Serena brings her to drive by and see Hannah. That was a very different home. That was not that house. Yeah, I thought of that when he pulled up, when they pulled up outside. And it was also, I feel like, very far away. I think they took a drive for a 
couple hours. Yeah, maybe, no, that was a big in trip. The first in the first time we go to see Hannah. Yeah, because he did one. say he did. Yeah, um, and Fred did say be back in three hours. Mm-hmm. So the assumption I think was that it was going to take most of that time to get most half of that time to get there. Time for a little bitty visit. And then turn around Jordan and come back. Yeah, so my guesstimation was it was about, you know, hour 15. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's no traffic. No, because they're out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, they're no. in the middle of nowhere. It's winter. So. But what I don't get is how, how did they not have any, uh, like, stopping points, like tolls? Or... Oh, like checkpoints? Yeah, thank you. That's the word. they're usually checkpoints? Interesting. They're usually that's checkpoints. Yeah, so how maybe do they get like around that? Maybe it's within still the district and you're not crossing into... Oh, potentially. Maybe. Or it's not a high risk area because I think those checkpoints that were happening were from the suburbs, quote unquote, of Gilead into like the city proper, mm-hmm. which was okay. probably off limits to anyone not a oh, commander, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I do believe we're actually in Maine. I think I figured that out in the epilogue that this is based in Maine. Mm. In the book, it may be, but the. But you think it's closer to Boston area? <clears throat> I think they say it's in yeah. Boston. Yeah. It is closer. Okay, so, all right, we're going to still roll with Connecticut, Massachusetts, then. General area General New England somewhere. Yeah. Vicinity. So, but yeah, so they, they roll up the, they roll up to the front of the house and walk in the, the front door and there she is. There she is. And in so. In her little pink coat. I was her surprised. Her name is Agnes. Yeah, I was surprised by her daughter's response. I wasn't. I'll get to that. That's a very, that's a really good point. Um, so it we find out her name is now Agnes. And this was interesting because I really wasn't expecting this. But then after this, the whole scene played out, I was like, okay, I get it. And there's no warmth from Hannah. No, that recognition that no, this I, is my mother. I got that, it at the end, but. Yeah. And the whole course of this conversation just kills me. Yeah. Well, it was, it was hard. Just speaking as a as a child psychologist, I mean that was not unexpected at all. Mm-hmm. She has not seen her mother in three years. The right. last time that she saw her, someone had clubbed her upside her head right. with um, with a gun butt. Mm-hmm. Never saw her again. I, after Hannah that. never saw her again after that. She they take her to new parents mm-hmm. who rename her and mm-hmm. call her something else. She was what like five or six. She was five. Yeah, when and when they um when they caught them and she's like eight now. Oh she no, she well... was eight at the beginning of season one. Was she? She would be nine or ten by now. Okay. So point being, she has been away from her mother For since five she years. was very small. Right. She may well have convinced herself that her mother was dead. Mm-hmm. Because she had to go on with her life. She right. couldn't just you know, go running around, where's my mom, where's my mom forever. So, you know, these people say, we're your new parents now. It's like with kids who are kidnapped. I mean, she was essentially kidnapped. Where where you've got kids who are kidnapped and the people that are with them, you know, say, well, why did you stay with the people that kidnapped you? Why didn't you run away? They adjust. They just, okay, this is my life now. This person said that my parent came and sent them to pick me up and my parent does not want me back and I'm supposed to live with them now. 
I guess this is I life. I guess okay, this right. is my life. Okay, reanalyzing re- <clears throat> that definitely makes more sense. I'd forgotten that she was five when they were when they were captured, eight at the start of season one, and she's about ten now, which means, you know, for half of her life now, she has not had her proper mother. Mm-hmm. So her memories would probably be a little bit more vague, a little right. bit blurry. Because, I mean, how much do you remember before the age of five, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, spending the last five years in this regime with new family, new name, new everything. Who are apparently very yeah. who are apparently very nice to her. Yeah. I mean, she said, do you like your new parents? And, and she said, yeah. She said, yeah. No complaints. So on the whole child psychology front, you know, in the little extras tidbit on Hulu, the uh, Warren Littlefield and Bruce Miller said that they did research and talked a lot with the UN mm-hmm. and their work with reunification and children. And they said that the dialogue in the scene is word for word mm-hmm. transcripts Ooh. of when children have been reunited with mm-hmm. their parents after they've been separated. Yep. Word for word is what they said. Oh my God, I have chills and that's not okay. Oh. Yeah. So I think knowing that, I mean, you could feel it also. Oh my God. I, I was like, I, you know, kudos to this young woman and and her performance because I was just with her and Mm -hmm. the way that her brain was processing all the information. I have goosebumps. Do you see this? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (sighs) Because, you know, they they said to her, you know, after... So imagine this. You have spent the past several years convincing yourself that your mom and your dad are dead. Yeah. They have to be, because otherwise, why would why they leave they, you? Why didn't you try harder? Right. Why would they leave you with people? Oh, my God, that line killed me when she said if it. They were, if they were alive, so they must be dead. Why mm-hmm. didn't you try then harder? Then your Martha comes to you and says, here's the deal. Um, we're going to go for a little trip. Well, where are we going? Well, we're going to go see your birth mother. My who? She's dead. No, she isn't dead. They're bringing her to visit you just for a little while so that you can say hi and tell her about your, you know, how happy you are in your new life. So, you know, we're going to do that. What would your reaction be when she walked in? It would must be, it must have been like seeing a ghost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she says, yeah, we're going to go see her, but you don't really expect her to actually show up. She shows up. It is your mom. And she's pregnant and wearing this weird red dress. Of course, you're going to go like go hide behind the person that you actually know. And then what was the first question she asked her? Did it hurt? Did what hurt when they hit you in your head? That's the last thing she remembers of her mother is her being clubbed in the head with a rifle butt as they tore her away and mm-hmm. threw her in the car. Yeah. So, you know, and, and she's talking, her mother's trying to talk to her and, and it, 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 of course it's going to be awkward. Yeah. Absolutely. Poor thing. This was a tough episode, guys. I think it it was that juxtaposition of like, you know, people's, uh, people's uh this ex the juxtaposition of the expectation june had of this fabulous yeah. reunion one day yeah. and yeah. the reality of it and that that hannah has been waiting for her all this time to, to come up and pining and, yeah. and that she was going to walk in and she was going to go mommy and throw herself into her well as much into her arms as she could being eight and a half months pregnant and she understood what handmaids were because she may be one in her house yeah she said oh you don't get to keep it, do you? And so I was like, oh, wow, what an awareness. But she is older now. Right. I'm sure, you know, she's as 10. soon as she, she was sees brought them around. to Gilead, 
you know, she was told, you know, this is what happens and, you know, indoctrinated her and all those sort of things. And then by the end of the scene, there's this there's this transformation that happens where it it breaks from that processing the sort of like who are you resentment and anger and also i think uh in children that when there's a chunk of time missing away from your family and your your mother you know let's take Mm -hmm. june as an example when your mother all she keeps thinking is trying to get back to you get back to you get back to you yeah and how do you as a child express everything in the last five years that's happened to you to try to express to this person that hasn't been there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can identify a little bit, you know, my parents were uh, divorced for some time before they remarried. Funny story. But for a Wait, lot of... what? <laughs> I, know, I know. That's an original. Okay. I know. And so for a lot of my life, I was primarily with my mother. So when they got remarried and we started living again with me, my mother, and my father... All of a sudden, there's this father figure, and my father's always been a father. I have older siblings, so he's very comfortable, you know, asserting himself and his authority. And for me, you know, and I was, you know, probably 12 or 13 at the time, I was like, who the heck are you telling me what to do? You know, this is obviously not the same, but mm-hmm. it is that, like, you don't know this whole chunk of my life, and you're just going to come in and be like, this is And so- expect us to expect to pick things up where we left exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, I do like that she ended up sort of breaking from that into missing her mom and, and right. Oh God! Well, because she needed mom. some time. Yeah, right. and but just around the time that she was starting to warm up was when they were like, "Okay, you got to get in the car now and leave." And, and that was like, the moment Wait. that she didn't want to go anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, oh. she came around. That, so sad. Relatively speaking, that was a really quick turnaround. True. I, I mean, I just mm, that scene, just crying out for her mom. I just so sad so sad well no that was not what that was not what set me off mm-hmm. what set me off was when june went out there to her and said okay so this is what i need you to do i need you to be brave mm-hmm. and i need you to you know to enjoy your life and 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 your new mom and dad and you know i need you to go with your martha and take her hand and get in the car and i need you to go yeah and i was like that's when i lost it oh. there were just snotty snotty ugly crying tears <laughs> all over the place did you have some dory whales <laughs> no no just <laughs> <laughs> oh that lip suck <laughs> you know i do love that june as a character told her to let go and live mm-hmm. your life yes yeah because it, it would be so easy to just be like never let go never let go jack never let go you know just to, mm-hmm. to hold on and to like never forget she I think also had that big journey, and I believe it was episode three in Baggage, when she's reflecting on her own, uh, on her own relationship with her mother. Yes, and she has that moment right before she's recaptured. You know, I hope Hannah forgives me. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a a little bit of a full circle of that, where it's oh, she's giving Hannah permission to mm-hmm. let her go, because June That's a beautiful really full circle doesn't. No, if she one will ever see Hannah again, if mm-hmm. two, she will escape herself, and if she does manage to escape, to be able to go back and get Hannah, right? She doesn't know all... where she's gonna be, right? So, I think that was just a great empowering moment for June to give to Hannah to be like, 
it's okay to let go. It's okay to enjoy life. It's okay don't to despair. go be Agnes. Yeah, don't despair and, and be miserable because this is because of the situation the way that it is. So, mm-hmm. oh, that was a that was a scene long time coming, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I do like that we now know her new name, though. Because mm-hmm. you know, going forward, if she ever wanted to hunt her down, we can look for Agnes. You know, and I didn't really think of that that they would change her name, but no, I didn't that think about sense. that either. But it makes complete sense. Yeah. yeah. So then we get to the cliffhanger of this episode, and there was a reason, I guess, they were being very discreet, and obviously the uh, car with Agnes and her Martha and their guardian ran away so fast. squeal off. I guess this house is under, I mean, I guess everything's under surveillance, right? Right. And so I think Nick senses something's wrong, tells June to hide. And so Nick goes out there and has an altercation with two other guardians saying that he shouldn't be here. And so guardians are not one all big happy family. The guardians and eyes are all spying on each other all the time also, Mm -hmm. as we kind of get the gist of. And so they hit him, they grab him, they pick him up off the ground, and they put throw him into a black van and drive they away. They hit him. He they shot. shot him. Oh, they shot. They shot his leg. They didn't. I, at least it looked like they pointed down. Like it was I, like downwards. I don't think so, honey. That's the cliffhanger. I actually, of the I actually expected to come in here and see Donna dressed in black, man. <laughs> Uh, okay, so speaking of which, I mean, speaking of, you know, fan mail, always send us all your fan mail comments, anything I'm you have to I'm going to have to rewatch add. that scene. Uh, and during the recording of this podcast, I am getting texts from someone about this episode. And <laughs> of course she asks, is Nick dead? Because um, I said, I don't know. And I don't think he is. And so she says, her name is Allison. Hey, Allison. Uh, I also think the commander sent Nick there with her on purpose, knowing he'd get found after her comment about it not being his baby. And then him telling Nick not to be spotted. It seems fishy. Oh, shit. That did cross. Oh, that shit. did cross my mind. Allison, the problem. Dude. That that did cross my mind. The one mind. the one drawback of that. Oh, you is, you you lose your pregnant handmaid. Is you lose True. your pregnant handmaid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're gonna send Nick somewhere to get all shot up, send well, no, him by no, himself. Not, okay, mm-hmm. I got this. So let's say it's true, and we got the handmaid there. And the handmaid was outside, and the other guardians saw it, and they thought that maybe he was trying to escape with the handmaid, or like kidnapped her, or whatever. Then they would return her to her proper owners, so to speak. Mm. I, think I don't think they knew that she was there because they would probably taken her with. Them. No, but that's the point: is mm-hmm. that she was hiding. If she hadn't been hiding when they got in there, uh, that's oh, probably what Fred was counting on: not her hiding and getting left behind to try and hot wire a car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, in dear an God! I hope she can hot wire a car. There's no car. They took the car. No, they took the keys to the other car. They, they took, took the car. The car. Oh, that's I they why took they the took. Keys. That's why they took the keys. Oh man! So that one of them yeah. could drive the other car. <laughs> I really got to rewatch that scene. <laughs> I think, I think that's I too why. Tired. That's why I'm. I'm thinking he may well be badly wounded. Yeah, because they're I'm trying to cover so. their tracks. Right. You. They. If. If it were just okay, he's kind of. We winged him in the leg or something. Um, let's take him and to the hospital and get that wound up. And then and he'll then, get reprimanded then, for being whatever. You know, wherever. 
they look like they're trying to cover their tracks. We don't want anybody to know this car was here. That he was even um, here. That he was even here. How, Let's get so him what, up out of here. What, how, how, what the fuck is June going to do? In the trailer for episode 11, she's going through some uh, Walking Dead style stuff of, you know, trying to survive. Okay. Yeah, so that's what She's going to try and make preview. a fire. Yeah. All, all that stuff. Scavenging Find some for canned supplies. Foods. Yeah, exactly. All that Good stuff. Good God, poor yeah. woman. Well, because I mean, it won't be long cool. before Serena's home. Cool. They're missing. Yeah. And then, you know, Fred, after, you know, about 45 minutes, will be like, Serena and now I need to tell you what's going on. Sorry. Yep. He won't be able to wait too long before telling her. And then there's going to be a search party. They know exactly where, they know they, where, where she, she went. It's not going to be too long before they get to her. As long as she stays put. If she stays put. If she put. stays put. Which, probably, <laughs> she, which she probably her, won't. she probably won't. Because we have seen her be dumb before. <laughs> <laughs> and she is 30 seconds away from having a baby. And so we all know she's going to be she's hella dumb. She's not good at staying in one spot, is she? She's not good she's at being smart bad. right now. What is, what is it that they always tell you in the, in the Girl Scouts or whatever? If you get lost in the woods, you're supposed to do what? Stay put. Stay, Stay there. Put. Stay put. I don't think she was Girl Scout. She Stay know. there, and then know. that way, when they come looking for you, then they will. You can't find miss each other. You, you can't yeah. miss each other. Yeah, she's gonna go marching off in that freaking snowstorm, isn't she? Because yep. she's dumb. <laughs> oh, June. Well, June, this might be baby. her moment to try and escape again, guys. Eight and a half months pregnant <laughs> in a snowstorm. <laughs> she's dumb, guys. We all know this is gonna happen. <laughs> I would not be surprised. Now, here's the thing. That would be the perfect time. Now, had they left the key, the car. Oh, man, that would have been perfect. She could have taken off. She could have pulled a Moira. Took the, she, she that took, they the, took car. the car. So she's in this abandoned house yep. in the middle of nowhere in yep. a snowstorm mm-hmm. with no electricity, no gas. All right. So first things first, she got to get through the night. So she might stay through the night and then move in the morning. Hopefully. Well, I we'll hope see. that that's the smart move if she's going to be moving. I don't know why she wouldn't. But just I feel stay like they there. would get her sooner than the next morning because they know where she is and she can't be more than, what, an hour and a half at the most away. Maybe you're right. If she does, is, if she is on the move because she does know that Fred knows where she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She so, knows at the base minimum, whatever happens to Nick, hopefully Nick isn't dead, but whatever happens to Nick, there's at least one person who knows where she is. So if she is going on the move, maybe this is her attempt to escape again. I was going to say. So, like, so, basically, her options are stay and within three hours, you're going to be rescued. Or, or go sort of rescued, rescued by the guy who you know, raped you while you were eight and a half relatively months speaking, pregnant. It, the, yeah. the word "rescued" was used very loosely mm-hmm. in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> rescued or, from kidnappers. Or clone. you go yeah. ahead and move and get three hours under your belt before they realize you're not there. Yeah. All right, man. We are ramping up to season finale. I I cannot believe we are almost there. Oh man, it's crazy to think that this was a difficult episode, though. Yeah. This was Definitely. this was hard. We need some comic relief or something. This was kind of emotionally nonsense. draining. We need some Janine. We got a little bit of her. Mm. Give me Talking a dandelion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to put a dandelion in front of her. Uh, speaking of uh, comic relief, if you need to pick me up, uh, after I watched this show, I immediately watched Queer Eye season two on Netflix. Yes. So <laughs> I promote Hulu and I also promote Netflix because Queer Eye is great. So if you need a little pick me up from this show or just the world in general, 
Queer Eye is a good pick me up. And uh, that'll definitely lift your spirit. Yes. All right. So that wraps us up for episode 10. Again, send us your comments. You know, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Handmaid's Podcast. Email us at thehandmaidspodcast.gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes. We just went live on iHeartRadio. So hopefully you are finding us on iHeartRadio. If you found us, welcome, welcome to the podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll be up on Spotify soon. That'll be cool if we get into Spotify. Anyway producer talk so (laughs) contact us email us your questions comments and we will be back next week thanks for another great week at the handmaids podcast thank you abigail johnson and k megan washington my lovely co-hosts Whatever platform you are listening on, if you are enjoying everything you are hearing so far, please leave us a review. It helps us move up in the rankings and helps others who love The Handmaid's Tale as much as we all do find our podcast. You can also send us a donation at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash The Handmaid's Podcast. Our music is by bensound.com. Our logo is made by Joko Strakal. And we record in the beautiful Look On Media Studios in downtown Baltimore, Maryland.